Today's TripCast is presented by Accenture. No more one-size-fits-all. HR organizations must get agile to support new and traditional workforces. More at Accenture.com. And by the Texas State Technical College, TSTC offers money-back guarantees to students who earn degrees in high-paying technologies but don't find jobs within six months of graduation. Find out more at tstc.edu. Texas talking. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. Oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Texas Hi, I'm Ross Ramsey here on Wednesday, June 27th, with the University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll version of the TribCast. I'm joined this week by our University of Texas at Austin pollsters, Darren Shaw, professor of government. Good morning. Uh, Jim Henson, who is the head of the Texas Politics Project at UT Austin. Hey, everybody. And Josh Blank, who is the manager of polling for that same Texas Politics Project. Good morning. Uh, We're here to talk about family separations, the elections, guns, marijuana in Texas, and more. And we'll be taking questions via Facebook and Twitter, so send them our way. I want to start uh, because it's been in the news so much with the family separations story and and what we found in this poll. Uh, 57% of Texas registered voters um, against 28% of Texas registered voters were against this policy. Uh, The poll gives us some insight into how this unfolded, doesn't it, Jim? Yeah, it does. You know, I think it's probably important to note, given how rapidly this unfolded, we were in the field collecting data in roughly the 10, nine or 10 days prior to the issue really taking kind of a turn with, you know, we came out of the field that Sunday night, late that, or Sunday during the day sometime probably, late that Sunday it was in Laura so Sunday Bush. Sunday the 17th, Yeah, right. re- released the letter opposing it. There was kind of an avalanche of public attention to it, and it kind of led to the executive order by midweek Wednesday. So... But, I mean, I, I think it did illuminate what the baseline opinions were. And we framed the question to be as unframed as possible. In other words, the wording of the question was very direct, just, you know, more or less do you support or oppose or do you approve or disapprove of separating uh, parents and children who are apprehended while trying to enter the U.S. illegally? No mention of Trump, no mention of, right. you know, any of the, the, the various factors that have been emphasized there. You know, and what we found was universal, near universal democratic opposition and very intense democratic opposition and a lot more sort of division in opinion among Republicans. Now, among Republicans, it was 46 support, 35 opposed the policy, but there was a big chunk of Republicans, about 18 percent, who didn't know, you know, compare that to 6 percent of Democrats who didn't know. And I think that captured, at least in that item, the beginning of what the cross currents were. You've talked a lot about this, Josh. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, if you watch the media coverage of that unfold, the couple questions that sort of came out were, you know, you know, why, why are Republicans all over the map on this? Now, part of that was because the administration was all over the map on it. And it was sort of hard to figure out what the cues were, were to follow. But also, I think what you see here is they were getting it from both sides. If they were looking at the executive branch for leadership, they were hearing a bunch of different things. If they're looking at their own voters, it wasn't really clear, at least in the lead up to sort of that, you know, sort of that week there, which direction to go in based because they weren't being given clear signals by by Republicans. Right. And, and, and it wasn't I mean, I, I, I think it wasn't totally straightforward going in, given what we've seen in the past about 
Republican voters' attitudes on immigration. I mean, going in, we know that there are very restrictive attitudes among Republicans on both legal and illegal immigration. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, but, we talked about it early on, but, but we'd also seen some indication that there were some some exceptions here, like well, with right. the DACA numbers. Exactly. We know from previous right. polling that I knew we, where you were going. Yeah. With well, thank you. For, <laughs> yeah, we knew from previous polling that when you when you shift the you know the, the attention from necessarily let's say criminal illegal entry and thinking about adults and thinking about you know again the way that it's been framed a lot to children right it just shifts the ground underneath those attitudes in a way that's pretty significant but it actually does it in a way I can think for Republicans where it's sort of like well we're definitely for you know enforcing the border enforcing the laws but now we're talking about separating kids and families so it's a new issue how do we how we walk through this. And I'm spying on Darren a little bit, but it, it does kind of also underline from a kind of wonky point of view how much science counts, but direction on different elements of how people attach a, you know, importance to well, issues matters. And Darren, it's complicated. I was going to ask, I mean, it looked like in the polls we could see why some of the Republican officials who started with one response took a 90-degree turn in here. There was a split in, in uh, uh, male and female Republican voters in particular. Yeah, I think... Uh, just a couple observations that, you know, someone referred to this, one of the pundits referred to it as travel ban two. Um, yeah. And it's uh, in the sense that Republicans took an issue where they have an advantage generally, border security, right. and managed to frame it in a way to lose the issue or lose control of the issue. Um, you know, I, I, building on Jim's point or observation, uh, we asked a question traditionally in the trip poll, what's the most important problem facing the state of Texas today? And immigration, 16%, 14 border security. So if you combine those responses, 30% of Texans said it's the most important issue. The next highest item is political corruption leadership at 8%. So it is a dominant issue, right? Um, I'd also say that, um, you know, I heard a lot of observations by people in the news media nationally that Republicans just want to get this issue behind them and move on. I think that's utter nonsense. You the think notion, they want to stay on this issue? I think they absolutely want to stay on border security. Um, you know, I, I, you break this into two separate issues, I think, as, as you know, we often do in the trip poll, there's immigration and in particular pathway to citizenship where Democrats have an advantage in terms of public opinion. People want to find, you know, an, an equitable, fair solution to the 12 right. million, you know, undocumented workers who are here in the United States. Uh, and Democrats want to frame this sort of whole hodgepodge of issues around that. Republicans want to talk about border security. They want to talk about, you know, enforcement and, and this and that. They managed to, in this particular episode to figure out one of the few ways in which they can lose on this. And so my sense is that they don't not want to talk about border security. They want to say, okay, we've done that. Now let's get, you know, sort of set aside this issue of families. Now we want to get back to sort of let's get away from separations and get back to crossing the border illegally. Right, exactly. And, and I, don't, I don't even think that, and we did not test this, but I don't even think they believe that zero tolerance is a loser. I think that they've they're, they think zero tolerance is a winner. They just happen to have, again, framed it in an extremely clumsy way. Yeah, I wouldn't right. be surprised by that because it's a question we didn't ask in this poll, but we've asked repeatedly over the, over the lifetime of the poll, which basically says, you know, do you support or oppose uh, deporting basically all undocumented immigrants currently living in the country? Immediately. Immediately. <laughs> immediately. So there's right. the immediate deportation. And, and Republican support for that is, is usually close to three quarters, you know, yeah, give or take. Right. And so, I mean, if you think that that's sort of the, the natural impulse here in general, right. there's, no, there's no loss on the zero tolerance policy at the border. Right. right. I just, I, th I think it's interesting the way the national punditry has taken this issue. I, I saw Newt Gingrich, I even, I, I think in, in Karl Rove's um, latest article, he talked about Republicans kind of want to moving on nationally and refocusing in 2018 on other sets of issues. 
Um, I, I don't think that's quite right. I think in, particularly the president wants yeah. to talk mm -hmm. about border security. Um, I just think they, need, they want to take a step back and see if they can recast this issue on grounds they think is more favorable. I think that would not be the first time that Karl Rove, Newt Gingrich, and some of the co Republican commentariat have differed a little in approach from the White House, yeah. the current White House. Let's, let's jump right into electoral politics. I want to talk about the horse race numbers in this poll. We had um, Cruz over O'Rourke in the Senate race by five, Abbott over uh, Valdez by 12 in the governor's race, Patrick over uh, Mike Collier by six in the lieutenant governor's race, and Paxton over Nelson by one in the AG's race. Um, you want to dive into this one first, Darren? Let me, let me start from the bottom up, I, I guess. Um, uh, Ross, it while it's hot. Yeah, <laughs> Ross and I were talking. I'll leave, I'll leave the juicy stuff. Oh, this is pretty juicy. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the AG race, which I think is interesting. And, and part of the reason I want to do it is, is sort of a mea culpa. I, I've been one that thought that, uh, you know, the, the place in which the Democrats break this streak of Republican statewide victories, you know, since 1994, Democrats haven't won a statewide office, would be uh, would would never be the AG's race, <laughs> because <laughs> never I figured, say never, right? Yeah, exactly. I figured of all these offices, the AG's race is the one that that sort of comes with a package of issues that is least friendly to the Democrats. You know, it's it's a law and order office. Right. Republican advantages play up in the AG uh, office races in a way that you know e even beyond what they do in other races, and yet here we have what what I think I completely underestimate is the extent to which the AG because it's about you know, propriety and justice and fairness and, and ethics, that if you have a candidate who has questions along those fronts, that candidate, you know, can take a beating. And I think what you see here, right. ac across these lower level races, um, like Gov and the AG's race, the Democrats drawing about 31%. I think we have a pretty good sense out of this poll what the baseline Democratic the vote Democrats is. The Democrats all, with the exception of O'Rourke, the Democrats all had the same number, basically. Yeah, yes. and I think that's... that's 31, the, 32. Yeah, that's yeah. what a Democrat gets in Texas when Democrats aren't really paying attention to the race. Right. That's sort of the in, default. In, in spring yeah. and early summer. Right. Yeah. And what you see with Paxton is he simply underachieves compared to all the other Republicans. And so, so all, all the action, I think, is amongst independents and Republicans who kind of look at Paxton to the extent they're plugged into the race, and they're not that tuned into the race, right. look at him and go, I, I don't know yet. Um, but, but that's the race where there's the most obvious vulnerability, and then there's a lot to talk about in the other races. Too. Is it more – is it – does it tell you more about this race that he's more or less tied with a Democrat or that he's more or less tied with nobody? I mean, <laughs> nobody in this race. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I mean, that's true. You know, you're a sitting AG and, and 30 percent, it's basically 30, 30, 30. Right. I don't know. I mean, I think you could say, I mean, it's obviously true in the AG's race. I'm not sure that you couldn't say that in some ways about all the races, save O'Rourke. I mean, O'Rourke still is unknown to 40 percent of the electorate, right. according to other you know, information in the poll. Uh, you know, we assume that's probably the high watermark for any Democrat running right now statewide, and everybody else is. Lube Valdez is certainly less. To some degree, numbers this early on, given that all the Republicans are incumbent, uh, you know, they've been around for a little while now. They've had, you know, various aspects of their, you know, let's say their policies and their actions sort of, you know, more or less broadly reported for a while. You know, these numbers to some degree also really reflect attitudes just towards the Republican candidates, right? Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's true across the board. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. We've been saying this a bit that, you know, the, the power just part. You know, party identification is really a major factor here. That I think 
right. other than the guys at the very top that are incumbents, yeah. you I know, mean, is really driving a lot of these numbers. There's a simple right. thought experiment you can, I mean, kind of play where you say, you know, if you're a Republican in Texas who didn't like the way that Cruz handled the aftermath of the 2016 primary race, right, and you're kind of, you know, you're withholding judgment right now in the spring, right. I don't really think that person is going to go and vote for O'Rourke in the fall. I don't think there's any reason to expect that. I think we expect that person to come back and become a Cruz voter. But it does mean that, like, it does this early on invites a certain amount of reservation. Well, we didn't do the push comes to shove right. uh, in this race. And we, we never do, do at this point because it doesn't right. make any sense. So yeah. only yeah. about a third, if, if history is right, only, you know, uh, 33 to 35 percent of the registered voters in the state will show up in a November election headed by a governor's race. So, you know, only a third of this pool, whatever that third is, is likely to turn up in November, you know, given history. Right. There, there are a couple of points. That, that's one that we're talking about a registered voter population without a – the reason, by the way, for, for those of you who are interested, that we don't run a likely voter screen this early on is that the sorts of questions that you ask um, – and, and recall, this isn't a sample from the registered voter file where you have past information about people's voting patterns. So, right. you know, to, if you want a likely voter screen, you have to ask people about their enthusiasm, their knowledge of the election. And this far out, it's – history has proven it's not a very effective screen. So They're still thinking about camp. Right, exactly. Right. So it's, it's a registered voter population. We have, because we put on, on our ballot all the candidates who have qualified from the ballot, so you know the, the people who are looking at this online and, and, and reading about it will notice that there's all these libertarians because they've qualified for the ballot. Right. Well, across the board, they take away from, you know, presume, I've always thought libertarians, about half of them, if there were no libertarian, half of them wouldn't vote in the race, and I think the other half would probably vote Republican. Um, right. You know, so it's not it's not a one to one, but that support support disproportionately would go to the Republican. And as you mentioned, we didn't push people who said I don't have an opinion yet in a lot of survey. If we had only a couple of races, we could have said, well, you know, if you had to say who would you vote for, which is right. standard practice and, and something that we would do later in yeah. October, for instance. But right now we don't ask that. So you get high numbers of undecideds, right. which we think reflects reality. Right. You know, libertarian draws, you know, two to six percent, depending on the race. Um, and that's why, you know, a lot of these Republicans, even a, 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 what I would consider sort of a safe Republican by most standards, Greg Abbott, right. is only at 44. And a lot of times you'd look at that and you go, well, that's an incumbent who's under 50 percent. But a, a lot of that is the architecture of the poll. Well, and yeah, you know, I, I got to point out on Abbott just because it was so weird that it landed this way <laughs> that uh, Abbott got the same number now he got four years ago in our polling against Wendy Davis. It was a 12 point race. She got the same number as Lupe Valdez. It ended up being a 20 or 21 point result due to all of the things that we're talking about. So right, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, the, the, the other thing too, when people look at the margin, uh, you know, if you can't, <laughs> always this is a very small methodological point, but right. but if I'm taking two to one from you and there's 33 percent undecided, well then, just if, if it breaks proportionally, I ought to take two to one of the undecideds, which pushes the right. the margin up. And so, uh, you know, the, the comparisons of uh, poll results in July, say, to the actual result in November needs to take that into account. Yeah, and, we, and there's a, you know, just a small plug. I mean, there's a link on our website where we did a blog post in April and went and I gathered a bunch of poll results, compared them at this time of year, uh, not just ours, virtually everything, everything, every, everything reasonable in you know, and legitimate in Texas, every reasonable you know, public poll. What spring result? Have, what spring polls look like after October and November results? Yeah, exactly, right. and that's worth worth. They almost a look always at. underestimate Republican support in Texas. Yeah, so, uh, I want to touch on Trump's popularity in the state, um, mm -hmm. which remains remarkably high among Republicans. Um, 
I mean, remarkably compared so to why other. Do you say that? Well, because because you know he's higher than you know George Bush was. Except well, he just means he's it. literally remarking on it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's worthy of remark. I mean, you know, <laughs> even popular presidents in their in states where their party's in control don't usually run numbers like this. It's really yeah. surprising. I mean, I mean, I you know, without us backtracking, I mean, I think this really does speak to the events of last week and the politics of Texas leaders' response right. to the situation on the border. You know, Trump, Trump's numbers went up five points. His job approval, positive job approval, went up five points among Republicans. From February to now. From February yeah, to, to now. Yeah, to 88%. Yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah, 88% is a big number. And, right. um, you know, I, I think there's just no short selling how this frames the midterm elections coming up and how right. it frames strategy and behavior among both policymakers trying to respond to anything involving cues from the White House and national policy and how they position themselves going into the November elections. I think there was a time, probably more than a year ago, you know, shortly after the election, where there was some question about whether Republicans were going to, as on the whole, whether the base was going to embrace Trump and how that was going to frame these elections. And I thought you saw, you know, evidence of a little bit of jockeying among state political right. figures. Right. You know, that is over, right? I mean, there is no doubt that going out and, you know, trying to somehow define yourself as a never-Trump Republican in Texas is a complete non-starter. You're, you're going for the 11%? If, 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 you know, and, <laughs> you know and, and at the state level, like nationally, not to, you know, short-sell anybody's, you know, being freed up to act on their conscience or anything, but, you know, the people that are willing to do that are people that are not facing the voters in a Republican state in the fall. Right, right. Yeah. And I was just going to say this. I think this ties into a larger point about the, the, the dilemma facing Democrats this fall, which is, you know, you're, you're in a, you know, by and large, a conservative state, a Republican state where the, you know, the sort of general uh, Republican performance in an election is going to be anywhere between, you know, mm -hmm. plus 8 to plus 15 or 20, you know. So... <laughs> you know, how do Democrats win in that environment? Well, you know, my sense is you need an issue. Right. You need something to move people off of their partisan moorings. And, you know, that two things are obvious from the poll. One is it's not clear what that issue is. It's not immigration. Right. right. It's not immigration. It's certainly not border security. Right. It's not and even the things that people are talking about right, right now. Right, right. And it's not Trump. And I think this was what the, the Democrats in Texas were extremely hopeful for. It, it, it is Trump is, to be clear, mobilizing amongst Democrats. You know, there's still a high level of disapproval in a way that there, there wasn't for George W. Bush, for instance. Um, but amongst Republicans, uh, you know, th there's not, not a lot of evidence here that, right. uh, you know, attacking Trump or, you know, I, I think what you, what's required is something like O'Rourke is doing with Cruz, which is sort of attacking the nature of his relationship with Trump. You know, right. hey, he insulted you and your wife, and yet you're being right. a, you know, right. you're being a, Mealy mouth boy about all of it. you know. I don't even know what that is. But it's not. You're too close. <laughs> Hashtag mealy mouth boy. Yeah. yeah. Well, so while you're talking about I had partisan, another phrase in my mind, I didn't think it was would have been great. Appropriate. You know, is, yeah. yeah. Nothing's inappropriate on the trip cast. Well, let me ask you about partisan moorings since you're on that subject. How did the um, Texas GOP become anti-FBI, anti-Robert Miller. <laughs> what is going on here? We've had this conversation amongst ourselves where I thought the Republicans were anti-Russia and they liked the FBI. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pro-intervention. Pro, pro, uh, yeah. Opposite, it's opposite Free, free trade. Right. It, 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 leadership it is, in the world. It is remarkable. I mean, uh, Josh probably has some, some interesting breakdowns on the FBI um, 
uh, ratings here, but we're through the looking glass mm -hmm. in some ways. And, and it, it shows the power of partisanship and it shows the power of, you know, what we in social science would call cue taking. You know, that when, when the president and leaders of the party come out and, you know, basically sort of tell their partisans that you can't trust this organization. And then the, uh, to be fair, and the organization gives you plenty of ammunition. Yeah, they, that's a, they put some wood in this fireplace, right? right. Uh, then then it's, it's kind of remarkable how people move off of, move in their opinionation off of institutions to which you think they'd have fairly strong, well thought out opinions. Right. It's not like the FBI is some nominal government bureaucracy that nobody's heard of before. I mean, right. it's been the subject of every Tom Cruise movie. They had, a t they had their own years. TV show for years and years, <laughs> is, right? Is, is the IMF part of the Yes, but we can't FBI? talk about that. Yeah. I, the Tom Cruise secret. thing confused me. <laughs> it's a secret. A reminder to Facebook viewers to post your questions in the comments. We'll try to get to them. Before we hit our next topic, I want to thank another sponsor, Walmart. In 2016, Walmart led the fight against hunger by contributing the equivalent of 51.6 million meals in food donations in Texas. Um, let's shift gears here and talk about guns in Texas, which I, I got to say in the planning for this poll I thought was going to be the headline. I didn't know immigration was going to jump to the front. Uh, this uh, battery of questions was put together, you know, in light of the shootings in Santa Fe and the shootings in Sutherland Springs. And um, what did we learn here? We'll talk about the bat. We well, talk about how we did the battery, which you know. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so there's two sort of sets to the way we asked about this. One, we asked some questions that we've asked before, specifically about sort of gun control policies, whether gun control laws should be made more strict, less strict, left as they are now, just to get sort of general impressions. Uh, additionally, sort of tested an item, this idea of you know, if more people carried guns, would would the U.S. be a safer place, less safe, or sort of no effect? And, you know, one of the things that happens is in a sort of perpetual in polling, you know, there's sort of, I mean, un unfortunately, it's a perpetual sort of thing in polling where mass shooting happens, we pull on guns, we look at what we did before, we see if there's a change, and we say, no, not really. Right. And part of that is, I think, the way that we construct the second part of the battery, which is to say that for a large share of people, these shootings are not actually seen as being about guns and gun control. And that's sort of the key here. So when we look at sort of the gun control law attitude. Talk about what you mean by that a little bit. Well, yeah, it was, well, give me, I'll get sure. to that. Yeah, right. Sorry. So when we talk about... Taking the long run. Yeah, just give me a second. <laughs> give me a second, Ross. Drink, Bear with me. Your, he needs to digress. Your, drink your coffee. Uh, so, I mean, overall, we found that, you know, in this poll, 51% of people said that gun control law should be made more strict. The last time we asked this, back in 2017, it was 52%. Basically, the numbers are unchanged. 31% say they should just be left alone. About 13% they say they should be less strict. That is identical. Nothing about Santa Fe changes. So then what we do is we ask people. And including the internals, right? right. In other words, partisans yeah. all stayed where they Although were the subgroups well. stayed where the subgroups were. Pretty much right. where they exactly. were. Right. And so then you say, well, why is that the case? Well, the case is because people don't think this is about guns. And what we could have done is we could have gone and asked about a bunch of, you know, sort of hypothetical policy proposals that may or may not come to fruition. And in Texas, in most cases, will not around guns. And in, in the case of more specific things that the governor talked about around sort of like school building design. You know, they're just right. not really fleshed out yet, so we don't know what those policies are. Right. So what we do is we ask people what they think the causes of mass shootings are. And we've done this before with mass shootings in general. This time we focused on schools in particular. And we asked them about a long list of, you know, basically causes and asking, you know, do you think this has a great deal to do with this all the way down to it has nothing at all to do with this? Kind of the, what do you think is going on here? Right. And so yeah. we asked things about, you know, is it, is it insufficient, you know, basically gun restrictions? Is it, you know, basically mental health resources for students? Is it poor parenting, bullying, violence, school building No, so you get people to consider the causes right. in and of themselves before you ask them what the most, right. what they think is most important. 
Right, and so and then what we see is this sort of these underlying patterns, which is that essentially Democrats say this is about guns and gun, and gun laws, and Republicans for the most part say this is about, in the case of school shootings, poor parenting on right. the one hand, right. and, then and then bullying to some degree, but then most everybody at this point has sort of said, and also mental health. I mean, Democrats agree too, this is a mental health issue, but it would really, you know, I think when people look at these results and say, how, how have the overall attitudes not changed? You can just look specifically at that you know, insufficient restriction on gun ownership item, and what you see is 63% of Democrats says this has a lot to do with these school shootings. 49% of Republicans say it has nothing at all to do with it. Right. And the reason we do it that way, again, is when looking ahead, thinking, you know, how is the public going to rate whether the governor and the legislature are responding to their concerns? Well, I think, I mean, our kind of working hypothesis here is that, you know, if the, you're, you're basically limited to responding to the causes that people sort of put forward themselves in these right. questions. And right? just two quick things, Ross, I know we need to move on, but I mean, it has real practical kind of illuminating effects in terms of yeah. how we've seen the politics play out right. and what we should see coming from the legislature. One, you know, there was not a lot of discussion of directly of access to guns and gun ownership in either the governor's directives or the legislative hearings, or at least the the intent and the focus of the legislative hearings that have followed. And two, you know, we're going to see that moving through and we're going to continue to see discussion of mental health. And I think that the, it's because, A, mental health, you know, is one of the few kind of overlapping areas. And part of that is that for Democrats, it's I think you see it as an institutional route. Right. You know, and kind of a, a familiar resources. Yeah, it. a familiar institutional focus for resources. For Republicans, it can still be seen as in this family of, you know, kind of individualistic explanations for right. how these things happen rather than structural or systematic. So things. they get to the same thing, but for various reasons. For different reasons, right. yeah. Okay, great. And great. it's one of the few areas they can legislate. I mean, in the end, what are, what are you going to do about poor parenting? Right. From a legislative standpoint. Yeah, from the legislative right. standpoint. Right. And you're not going to yeah. legislate for their gun restrictions. No, it's great. What you're going to do is you're going to talk. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to hector people. <laughs> Uh, well, if no. you want to wrap, let's talk about <laughs> weed. Um, um, we did some polling on some social issues and some things that are, you know, um, not necessarily headlines right now. Um, we've had a marijuana question for a long time in our polling, and the president recently came out and said um, in some fashion that he would possibly be for getting rid of the federal ban on um, marijuana and leaving that to the state. So it opens up this question again. We've had this four-part question for a long time. Um, when should marijuana be legalized? Never. Medical uses only. Small amounts or large amounts. And the migration has been you know, rap relatively rapid from never and medical only being the majority to uh, small amounts, large amounts, whatever you whatever you feel like. Josh, you want to hit this one? Yeah, I mean, this is we say this a lot, but you know, te Texas. We'll start is, with the young guy. Texas, <laughs> he's high. It's <laughs> one of those jokes you were talking about, right? <laughs> the patented Darren Shaw marijuana uh, jokes. There we go. Thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that. So, well, I mean, basically, you know, I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> yeah, that's not surprising. No, but this is one of those things where, you know, we say this all the time, but it's a reminder that, you know, Texas is still a part of the United States, right? And so when we see these trends nationally, it's not surprising to see them here in Texas. I think what maybe is a little bit surprising is, is how fast it's moving and the fact that, you know, 
it's moving so much among uh, Republicans. I mean, I think we saw this at, at their convention that they basically, you know, endorsed. Changed the platform. Yeah, they changed the platform on this. And they weren't on legalization in the platform. They were on decriminalization. Right. They were on basically lowering the penalties for possessions of right. small amounts of pot. And we asked right. about that, too. And the thing is, is about two-thirds of Texans of, of any subgroup and overall basically yeah, right. say, yeah, that's fine. Right. You know, we don't need jail time for this ticket. Fine. That's fine. But the most striking thing is, for me, from this poll is between 2015 and then this most recent poll, the most prohibitionist positions are never legal among Republicans went from 31% to 21%. And all the movement wasn't to medical marijuana, which we used to kind of think of as like a way station. So people say, well, you know, maybe yeah. not this. But, like you the know, civil unions you can of do it, marijuana You can do it for your eyes. Right, right. Well, you right. used to ask this gay marriage, you know, before, a long time ago, you said the gay marriage question, which basically said no gay marriage, civil unions, but not marriage. Marriage, and a lot of people, as the right. public was when we went to this, or well, civil unions are fine, but not marriage. And that's kind of where medical marijuana sat. But medical marijuana support has remained constant. All that Republican movement has actually been to small and large amounts legal. Recreational. Yeah. Right. I, I find this issue kind of fascinating. I mean, we were talking about guns earlier, and the thing about guns is that, you know, we, the, the word I would use is that attitudes on guns tend to be constrained um, in, in a way like abortion or death penalty. That is, people have thought about the issue of guns. They have considered it from a variety of different angles, and so as, as Josh pointed out, you don't get a lot of you know, quarter-to-quarter -quarter movement in people's opinionation, even in response to these horrific school shootings, right. because they, they see them the way they see them, and they've already thought about them, and so they can contextualize new information against the sort of backdrop of, you know, their ideology and how they, you know, yeah. they've, they've thought about it a lot. On marijuana, I, I don't think people have thought much about it. And, and marijuana sort of falls with, like Josh was making the analogy to gay marriage. I think this is one of those social issues where the, the terms have changed. And what's interesting to me is, is that it's changed along two lines, I think. I don't think it's a moral. I'm not sure it was ever a moral issue. Um, you know, I think Republicans for madness again, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think that... that Two elements have come up in the issue, which has driven opinion change. One is is criminal justice, right. and, and the realization, even on the part of Republicans, that this is probably not smart with respect to you know incarcerating large numbers of people for right. what they think is a nominal crime. And the other aspect of it, I think, is I think is business. I, I, you know, we were discussing this earlier. I, I think right. this issue seems to me to be changing. Right. Um, because of the business implications. Yeah, sooner um, or later, somebody like Texas A&M, I'm not saying Texas A&M, but somebody's going to put, you know, growing pot in their agriculture school. Yeah. Right? So, so what you're, be, so what you're saying is that they're growing pot at Texas A&M with state funds? I'm just saying is that, that what you, we I just want to make sure that I was clear on what you be, said. I'm, I'm just saying that I just want to make sure you get the right phone call. I just want what's-his-name to call you a little later. What's-his-name? Nice job. Grow it at A&M and we can sell it out of the Oh, I mean Reeve Hamilton. This will be great. Yeah. But I, I do think that, that the business aspects of this are going to be, why am I the only straight guy here, um, so to speak? Um, <laughs> we all know the answer. Yeah, right? I know, exactly. <laughs> We're diving into social issues, and it's not going well. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think the business angle on, on the marijuana issue is, I, I think this is something where you could see movement at the legislature. If business climate changes just a little bit in terms of their posture towards legalization and, right. and it, coupled with you know the, the revenue stories we're getting from Colorado and other places where you know they're, they're regulated and taxing the heck out of it. It's, it's raining money. Yeah exactly. It is exactly. raining money that's true yeah. that's true. Uh, we have time really just for one more question so I'm going to go to the NFL. Um, <laughs> this was interesting I'm, you know the NFL question was in a battery of questions favorable or unfavorable How, what do you think about this person or that person or this institution or that institution, and the NFL was one of those. And it has a very, very interesting set of crosstabs on it. 
who wants in who wants to well jump? i mean you know the headline here was the racial difference in in the results in in presumably football mad texas and other people and this was in some ways our first foray into this it's one of those things that really cries out for more for more right. but overall ask, you know we found that you know 26 percent had a favorable view of the nfl and all we said was you know, favorable right. or unfavorable view of the nfl that's it nothing about what's happening about uh, so 26% had a favorable view, 47% unfavorable, and 27 said they didn't know. And, you know, the thing that sticks out in the, in the crosstabs is the racial dimension. Among whites, it was 20 favorable, 55 unfavorable. Right. Among African Americans, 49 favorable, 24 favorable. And as I think Josh okay. quipped, unfavorable. Right. I think as Josh quipped when we first look at this, this doesn't seem to be about football. Right. Right. <laughs> Doesn't seem to be about football. I think that's right. Well, you know, I, I, again, sort of talking about the national commentariat here, which seems to, I've heard this repeatedly um, on podcasts and on uh, ESPN and other places about how uh, there's this reticence to say that, you know, ratings of the NFL, they don't reflect any kind, you know, this anthem stuff is nonsense. There's other stuff going on. Um, I, I, I think that is completely uninformed. Right. Uh, I don't see how, you know, so what evidence is there that ratings are declining or that the popularity of the NFL is off based yeah. on these things? I think that's, that is an extremely short-sighted uh, and narrow argument. Uh, you know, you could argue, now I do think that the collective rating of the NFL here takes a hit because of not just the anthem issue, but because of concussions, right. because of sexual harassment and assault. Right. And those sorts of things, uh, and the quality of play, I would add, editorially. But that doesn't uh, that, that doesn't explain the racial. Exactly. It doesn't explain exactly. the racial it cut. It does at not all. explain the, the particular. You it's know, not. It ain't the World Cup. Yeah. It, it, the the the, <laughs> the question cuts along lines that suggest that Trump and you could. I, I'm certainly not defending what he, but he made the anthem an issue. Right. And and owners like Jerry Jones, who have gotten pilloried for you know caving in on the anthem or being too fearful. Um, I think they have something to fear. That's not a statement about whether they're pursuing the right policy, but they have something to fear if you look at some of these numbers. Well, yeah. and the thing is that, you know, this is one item on one survey. I'm sure the owners have a lot more well, data than we do. Maybe we'll come back and get more data on this later. That's all the time we have for now. Uh, if you want to know more about, you know, what we saw in this poll, look at the texastribune.org or the Texas Politics Project. What's your URL? We're texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Okay. Um, Thank so you. Those places both have a lot more information on this. If you like listening to the TribCast every week, we've got something else you'll love, an audio news brief that shows up every morning on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker or podcast player. Learn more at trib.it slash thebriefpodcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music, to the Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service, Texas Southern University, and the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Darren, Jim, Josh, and our producers, Todd and Regina, this is Ross. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. 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 Texas tal